Okay. This is Red Slide. Da da da. With the Y. Why? Because nothing's better than doing things for yourself. Nothing's better than feeling good. That's why. Feeling good. That's it. Nothing's better than feeling good. That's yeah. why. I didn't do my homework. Or feel good. I did my homework. I hurt my knee. Um, like an idiot. Not really. Kinda. Totally like an idiot. Um, and so I didn't really get to do much yesterday and today. So I had plenty of time to work on this outline. So hopefully I'll be a little better. A little smoother at talking and reading at the same time. Which can be quite difficult. It's How like you doing Blaze? Um, uh, I've been better. It's been a big adjustment week. Mm. Just uh not not living the wrench life the way I should this <laughs> mm -hmm. week. Um, letting my inner bitch win. Mm, you can't let the inner bitch win. No, I can't. Well, today... Now that we're having a beer. So what happened was I was going to... I wanted to make a cross-analysis of all the fathers of psychology and generally how they looked at the psyche and, you know, the great problem. But that was really complicated. And mm -hmm. I thought it'd be better off to just, rather than doing one podcast or the intro series, just to jump right into the Mind Over Matter Mom series. Mm -hmm. So this is going to be the first Mind Over Matter Mom podcast. Uh, so your mind, or your perspective, it isn't really reality. It's a tool. It's a filter through which the internal and external world is strained, hmm. like pasta. I like that. Getting like more pasta. perspective is like gaining more tools. It's like those videos when a colorblind person puts on the color correcting glasses for the first time, and they're like, wow. So learn, um, yeah, learning other smart people's perspectives on these things is like giving you a whole nother tool bag a tool bag sounds, what do you call it sounds a tool bag. Yeah, it sounds a little hard. <laughs> a whole nother uh, bag of tools in which you can view your own issues in life, okay? We're going to start in the mom series by outload, outlining the fathers of psychology, Jung, Nietzsche, Adler, and today we're going to start with Freud. All right? All right. Are you familiar with Freud? I am not. Only from, uh, like, Peterson quoting him. Well, you know what a Freudian slip is? Yeah, I yeah. know of it. <laughs> yeah, that's like when you, you, most of the time they're not Freudian slips, but you say something other than what you meant to say, and people can infer that it's your subconscious coming forward. Uh, you know, if you want to say, you meet a pretty girl and you want to say how you're doing today, but instead you say something that, that's not that, <laughs> and then she can infer that maybe you were thinking something different than it's just a nice day. Yeah. So <clears throat> what we're going to do here uh, is we're going to first go into... Uh, Freud's levels of the psyche, mm. right? Then I made some analogies to them, so maybe it'll make it a little bit easier to understand. They're, they're brief. Then we're going to go into what uh, a self-defense mechanism is, according to Freud. Then we're going to go into the three types of anxiety, as defined by Freud. And then what types of defense mechanisms there are in Freud's view. And then we're going to go a little bit to my take on those things, right? All right. Every, every one of the big psychologists has, like, this kind of, like, overarching, like, because there needs to be a framework that it all nests in. So this, this is Freud's. Freud's are, like, a little more, a little, I think are a little, a little bit harder to understand because they overlap so much. And it actually requires you to think pretty deeply on your own, like, in your own head on what these things are. But the first one at the very bottom, uh, what Freud's calls the id, the id, id. This is the, uh, the un it's the unconscious that seeks pleasure. It's, it's blind desire. It's, it's detached from reality. It's based in, uh, it's basic primal instincts. It's impulsive. It's satisfactory. It's kind of like the, uh, the horse to the rider. Hmm. The it is, is, that's all the way at the bottom, right? Then you have the ego, which is the, the self, quote unquote, the self, which is taking in in account for the unconscious, and it's mediating a balance between pain and pleasure, between the body and the mind, and that those things against reality, right? And then you have the superego. The superego um, is it's the the consciousness of your mind, 
basically, uh, he claims it develops around five or six years old. Hmm. And this, this is the developed filter of uh, real life. And it kind of is the implementation of right and wrong, right? This splits further into the ideal self and, and the consciousness. Uh, the conscious contains ideals, morals, things that exist within the society that prevent people from acting out, uh, acting out based on their internal desires. The self-ideal contains images of how people ought to behave according to society's ideals. So those things sound about the same, mm -hmm. but the, um, so the self-ideal itself is a, a term that Freud borrowed from his predecessor, uh, uh, Alfred Adler, who's got, who's got, oh, my chair's falling apart. Yeah, both <laughs> of them are. Adler's got a great, great view of uh, reality. That'll be the next one we do, because I think it's really good. But uh, Adler... The next pod, the ne next mom, pod, mom podcast is going to be on Adler. So Adler says the self ideal is the ideal self, right? Makes sense. Mm. Uh, but it's it's essentially the best person you could be. You know, in a Christian view, that's essentially that's like God. So y your super ego has the like ultimate version of you you could be, and then the other half is kind of like the you trying to kind of do that, right? So here's some of the analogies I made uh, for these these three things. The id is kind of like the solitary, vicious, wild beast, right? Mm -hmm. The ego is a, a collaborative animal. Like, like a, a platypus. Are, are, <laughs> do, they have, do they travel in packs? I don't think so. Okay. Oh, that kind of collaborative, not like two stupid animals shoved into one stupid animal? No, no, no. Okay. no. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> um, no, it's collaborative, like, because, like, wolves have a social structure. Ah, okay. So they're still really primal, but there's some development there. And then the superego would be based in familial, cultural, religious, uh, social, kind of like software, which is kind of my next analogy. The id would be... Essentially, the raw components of a computer inside every computer, every piece of electronics, there's basically the same type of components, right? Mm -hmm. The ego would be the operating software that's that's communicating with those raw components and then whatever's on the electronic or the computer or the device. And the super ego is we're jumping right over into it's a web browser or it's even like Google's search engine algorithm. Mm. The society is the internet. That makes sense. And then the algorithm is like society's, because a society has its own kind of consciousness. That's in in um, in young in young psychology. There's a collective unconscious. So everything's kind of got like everybody's got the same parts, and then your ego is kind of what interprets those parts, or it's like it, or uh, makes those parts work. I guess right. Is it's like yeah. Saying? Like part of you is navigating between the id and the ego. Part of you is navigating between the ego and the super ego. You kind of exist on all these different planes. Yeah. Because, like, whatever your morals might not match up with whatever yeah. society's morals are. And when you when I say that society is the internet, yeah. like society or religion is the internet, it's like the internet is constantly evolving. The algorithm is the specifics within the evolving thing. And then the software that the program, that the internet's on is, like, it's kind of like, um, that would be, like, cultural, I guess, cultural. Because it, it, like... Things, a lot of it overlap and it all looks really similar, but they're all slightly different. There's some compatibilities or some incompatibilities, right? Mm -hmm. um, so moving along. <clears throat> Where are we at here? Cool. So there's a reason I'm going to define the self-mechanism and then go into them later because it has to kind of piece together the right way. So Freud claims we have self-defense mechanisms to protect a favorable or preferred view of ourselves. Okay? Mm. So that's not that's not to be confused with the ideal self within the superego. Each part of the id, the ego, and the superego will have a conflict with each other from time to time, right? This is where the self-defense the self-defense mechanism manifests, and it most commonly manifests as anxiety. Because hmm. even though you have a perfect, you, know, you have the the, you know, the ideal self in your head, mm -hmm. like. The things you're looking, you're going after, aren't in line with that all the time. And yeah, then trying to navigate that is what makes you anxious. Exactly. 
So then we have there's the three types of anxiety. They are reality anxiety, neurotic anxiety, and moral anxiety. Okay. Reality anxiety is the most basic, and it is of the ego. It is plain and simple, essentially just getting hurt. Like perceptual reality pain. Like you're standing on a roof or on a bridge and you look down and there's like, you know, there's that. That is deep. You know, that is the fact that you can perceive the world communicating with the id that knows you can die. It's like, yeah. <clears throat> that's like know, reptilian brain stuff that's just like built real real deep into your into your yeah and that's why there's animals like what do they call them like the f- lemmings that will will if they get scared they'll run right off a cliff and die oh really yeah, you ever that. played goldeneye they had the lemming reward no. the lemming award so you kill yourself essentially oh so that's huh. like an overpowering of the id essentially um the next one is uh Neurotic anxiety. Also, I'm gonna. I should say that I'm working on a new page on our website called uh, the glossary. So whenever all these things like neurotic, mm-hmm. if I think they need to be outlined, I'll put. I'm gonna have another page that will just have those definitions of these things for quick reference down the road. So, <clears throat> neurotic anxiety comes from the unconscious fear that the basic impulses of the id will take control of one person leading to an eventual uh, punishment from expressing the id's desires. So that's kind of like the id kind of coming all the way to the surface. Like those are real primal things like, you know, probably easiest one to anal- uh, analogize would be sex. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's a tough one. But that's, pro- that's probably mostly between still the ego and the id. The superego plays into it a, a decent amount. Uh because the last form of anxiety really is at, at, at the surface. This is moral anxiety. So that comes entirely from the superego. So this, this appears in the form of a fear of violating rules or moral codes. It usually appears as guilt or shame. So those are the things that are like, you know, a wild beast animal would just go mate and feel no remorse whatsoever. Mm-hmm. The superego is like, oh, wait. This is now my Me Too story. (laughs) Yeah. So I think we're going to... I'm going to give you the intro to the anxiety stuff. And then we'll we'll take a break for our our moments. And then we'll jump back in. So basically, um, the anxiety occurs. I think this is really big to really outline. And this is why all these theories are important. Because it'll actually almost pinpoint where an anxiety is. So the anxiety occurs... Sorry, anxiety occurs, and then you attempt to find a rational way of escaping it by using a defense mechanism. These are the ways that the ego develops to help the id and the superego. So it's like something happens, and you just get into this pattern of of avoiding whatever's going to happen, essentially. Defense mechanisms often uh, appear unconscious and tend to distort or falsify reality. Like, we all know people who are really neurotic and just, like... Delusional. They don't live in this world. No. They do all sorts of things, and you're like, what the hell? Like, after the break, when we jump back in, the the, what the hell are they doing things are the things that the defense mechanisms we're going to talk about. But believe me, we all know someone that don't live in this world, that are just on another planet. For real. (laughs) Interdimensional elves, man. (laughs) So basically, the defense... Mechanisms uh, often appear unconscious and tend to distort or falsify reality. When the distortion of reality occurs, there is a change in perception which allows for a lessening of the anxiety, resulting in a reduction of tension that you experience. So something happens, you have a defense mechanism that distorts reality, and then the problem, which is still there, Mm -hmm. and is probably bigger now because you're ignoring it, feels worse, and you're like, oh, cool, I'm good now. I feel fine. Um, I feel great. Uh, it's, just, yeah, it's basically a reduction of tension, and that feels good, and that'll play into like a positive feedback loop. And um, well, the more that happens, the more, the easier it is for your brain to do that, yep. right? You're just creating more pathways for it to, yep. Freud, to avoid. Yeah, yeah. So then Freud noted that there's a whole bunch of defect me- defense mechanisms, and they're broken down into three categories, but I didn't want to go that far into it. 
because it's just it's a lot. The next in the next section we'll 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 go over. I have ten of them, uh, and we'll talk about each one. And we'll, I have some examples, and I want you to bring in some examples that you can think of. Some of them get confusing because they overlap pretty close, but then at the end. There's one defect defense mechanism, which actually is like the correct mechanism. Cause mm -hmm. And then I'm going to point out my take on which is the worst, maybe not the worst, the most common one and the one that resides most within the great problem that we outlined in the last podcast. So now we're going to segue in to our, uh, our what do we call it? Something moments? Beautiful moments. Beautiful moments. Well, well, three moments. Um, moments of moments. Do you want to go first? Do you want you, which one? Uh, I, I got I got a beautiful moment. You want to, let's go right. Oh, to yeah. oh, we all know that. That's Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. It's pastoral. It's beautiful. It's like poetry. It is like I can't play two auto two 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 at once. That is just beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. <coughs> oh, that's great. Please uh, hit me with your beautiful moment. So Push out the jive. Bring in the love. <laughs> One high, high, uh, two high. Uh, um, uh, today I went, it's my girlfriend's birthday, so. Oh, cool. How old? Uh, 27, 17 now? Yes. <laughs> too much. <Shit>. Sorry. It's <laughs> bad. 21? <laughs> 21. Oh, she was that young? No, she's 27, I think. Oh, 27. Yeah, she's older than me. Oh, were you making a joke, and then I was making a joke? I said I just... 27. I think you just misheard me. Oh. Yeah. Whatever. Okay. Semantics. Uh, so I went to the the Italian bakery down this down the way. Uh, you ever been to Savoia? I have not. That's good. I don't know. I used to go there with my mom a lot, so I walked in there, and I got all these, like, feels like when I was a little kid, like my mom and I going in there and getting pastries and stuff, so... It's all happy. I was all smiley. Mm. Nice Italian lady Just selling me cookies. Yeah. I bought. You ever seen those stupid fucking frog? Uh, oh, we gotta cupcakes? watch the swearing. Oh, those stupid fudging frog. <laughs> I have no idea. Frogs. Frog. Yeah, it's like it's literally a, like a frog looking cupcake, and they do them for Easter, and they're real silly looking. Why frogs for Easter? I have no idea. Maybe what? it's not an Easter. Like I, you know, it, it's, Jamie, pull that up. Yeah, pull it up. It's literally like it looks like a meme frog. No, it does look. Like, it looks like it looks like. Uh, what's the thing from um, uh, from uh, Ghostbusters? Slimer. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like Slimer. Looks just like that. Yeah. So. Shout out Ecto Cooler. <laughs> so yeah, I, I bought one of those because it nice. made me all nostalgic. So it was, an, it was a good morning. Was it the smells? It the smells. And the smell is really tied to memory, and it is. The smell can really like put you somewhere. That wasn't so much smells. It was just like uh, like the the space. <clears throat> mm -hmm. You know, I just remember going there and. Like looking at the stuff and like being there with my mom it was nice. That's great. Yeah, it's a good morning. I didn't have any particularly beautiful. Well, I had a lot of like mildly beautiful that I reflected on. <laughs> um, it's really weird when I hit that button. The Google page reloads. That's weird. Maybe um, F keys like a hot key to something else on Google. Oh, it might be. Yeah. You're probably your F keys are probably working as normal mm. plus the soundboard. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm really happy that that we had a couple of mild days here and the snow melted, even though I, I hurt my knee. That just just the option of going outside is pretty nice. Like yeah. Not having yeah. to bundle up to walk to your car. <laughs> pretty yeah. nice. I don't really think I have too great a. I thought of a days. bunch of ones earlier, that, like earlier this morning, but I was doing so much I can't remember. So they must not be that beautiful. Maybe I work too much. I need more reflective time. Work-life balance. Yeah. What about you? Do you have any uh, any chaotic, anxiety-filled moments, or do you make it through this week all right? I made it through this week all right. I I. <laughs> uh. No, I, oh. I made it through the week fine. Actually, oh. so I'm good too. Yeah. I don't know. I uh, <clears throat> complained enough at work. To make everybody start labeling things, oh, good, which is good. one of the most important things. Yeah. So, uh, I, every day it was like, "Well, what's this? And where is where is this one first? And like, you know, it's a really good way to figure that out. You, you put the the date on it. Yeah, yeah. That's 
so one can of avoid a hundred conversations every day about that. You just look at it. It's a good point you're saying. It reminded me um, when we get into these um, defense mechanisms. Like I want people to think about their actions through these mechanisms and realize that they're doing it. And everything can you could look at something and be like, oh, is am I doing this? And you think through it. And you're like, no, no, I'm not doing that. One of the, something like the one I'm going to get into, the big one at the end is uh, is projecting, which is like you project the things you don't like about yourself or yeah. the world onto other people. So you could easily be some people will be overly anal and make and like overly labeling because like they feel disorganized, so they're forcing organization. Yeah. In a work environment, it's it's plausible that that's just better for work. Yeah. So like thinking through those things are really important because like if you're doing if you're micromanaging, well that's not even micromanaging that's just managing. But if you're into the point where you're hypermanaging or micromanaging other people and like your your space at home and all these things, that's more indicative of a defense mechanism than mm-hmm. just something you do at work. Although commonly people will manifest these things at work and then it's easier to hide it from yourself at work. Oh for sure, yeah. I mean, there's like two things to elaborate there, like. uh you know, in in a kitchen, like labeling something is like the the easiest, lowest level of being meticulous. Mm. And in some kitchens, they'll um, they'll have you actually when you write something on a piece of tape, you have to cut it rather than tear it because oh, it's cleaner and nicer. And they oh, just geez. it's, but it's 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 less about um, the tape looking nice. It's more about taking that attention to detail mm-hmm. at the lowest level so mm-hmm. that it. It exacerbates over time well, when over you, everything else. When you look at a cooler full of quart jars containing something, the less, the more uniformity it is, the easier it is to read what oh. you need to read. Yeah, exactly. And then one of the interesting things about starting a new job is uh, learning all the people around me and watching their habits mm. and their defense mechanisms. Mm. And someone I started working with is, uh, he his defense mechanism seems to be that he's... Uh, He's really opinionated about things mm-hmm. and oftentimes about stuff he doesn't know a whole lot about just to, you know, there's something I've been trying to study about, you know, like, well, I know this is going to be dense, but try to keep in mind what you just said yeah. and, and when, and we get to the one that is that one, see if, if you could be like, Oh, that's the one. All right. Well, I like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, what about, uh, any angry moments? I don't think I was particularly angry this week. Yeah. Pack your Um, it's not really that angry. It's my, it's more f- kind of comical because it falls right in line with my Walmart story. Oh, okay. About the modem. Cause this, this was immediately like that whole thing went up until we did the last podcast. And then immediately after that podcast, I had another horrible, uh, customer service experience. Um, so it's more just kind of comic relief. I think I'm telling this, but I got this, uh, silly, gift card uh my mom sent me for christmas that i got on february 1st thanks mom eek um push out the jives bring in the love okay anyway my my mom got me this wonderful gift card um for christmas but it was actually like a a debit card it's like an online bank Mm -hmm. so in order to get the uh hundred dollars that was on the gift card i had to basically fill out all the info you'd fill out to open a bank account which is like i don't want to put my social security number online and all this stuff but i did it and then i was looking at it it's like it's a uh eight dollars a month to have this debit card right and it's kind of messed up like there is no physical bank mm-hmm. but they've partnered up with some businesses so you can go to a walmart or a 7-eleven or a like a family dollar type store uh that are participating in in this service and you can load the debit card back up but with cash only and you could have direct deposits sent to it, right? Hmm. So if you were to guess, uh, what is the obvious demographic that that debit card is, is aimed after? Not very wealthy people. Exactly. It's it's aimed at, yeah, totally, right? <laughs> so I uh, I spent most of the card, hmm. and I left a couple bucks on it. And I was like, I just got to close this card now. I went to close it, but it had been more than 30 days, so they had already charged me the $8 for the next month, which is somewhat reasonable, even though $8 is an unreasonable fee. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, 
I tried to close it. It wouldn't let me close it, so I, I called them. I was on hold for an hour. This is actually like last week. Mm-hmm. I gave up, so I sent them an email. They sent me an email back saying, oh, you can't close it because you have a, a due balance. But the due balance is only in their surcharge, their monthly fee. So it's not yeah. like I overdrafted or anything. So I was like, oh, God, whatever. So I tried to set up to transfer money from my bank account to cover the $3 to close the card, which uh, if I did that, there would be a $20 charge. So I didn't do that. Then... So, that's so wacky. Yeah, then I, <laughs> I went onto their web, the website, and I was like, all right, I can go to these locations. There's a cool little map. And I was like, oh, the family dollar, dollar tree right in the corner here. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, cool, I'll go over there. So I went over there. And I, and I went to the counter, and the woman that worked in the counter wasn't even at the register. She, like, had, like moseyed on over nice and careful, nice and slow. And I was like, hey, I have this card. Um, it says on the website I can load it here. Yeah. And then she just, like, turns around and starts walking away. Like, she goes to ask her manager about it, but, like, she just, like, just turned it. away. And I was like, I'm sitting there like, what? <laughs> and then the other woman's like, yeah, you can reload it. There's a $10 minimum. And I'm like, Ugh, whatever. She comes back over to the register, and she's, like, typing the stuff, and she's like, oh, it's actually a $20 minimum. And I was like, oh, man. Um, and in, like, the, the like four seconds I say, um, she just turns to the person behind me in line and starts scanning in their stuff. What? And I'm like, I was like, hello? She's like, what? I was like, I didn't, like, make a decision. I was like, but I'm not doing $20. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I was just like, how unreasonable is it that it costs money to transfer money in? It, there's a minimum of how much I can load into it. It's like I'm not going to load $20 onto this card to offset the $3 of the service charge just to close the card. That doesn't make any sense. Oh, no. And I was, so I was, and the woman at, at the Dollar Tree was not helping my frustration in the situation. No. I was like, whatever. So I just sent them a really angry email, and I was like, this is just unreasonable. Yeah. And it's like clearly borderline entrapment. Yeah. So they said they were going to close, set the card for closure. And then I checked it. They didn't negative out my balance. I think they just set it for closure so I won't get charged monthly fees. But they're, I think they're trying to make me still pay this $3, which isn't going to freaking happen. <laughs> damn principle of the thing. That's funny. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I saw... Um, I, 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 have, I don't have an angry moment, but I saw someone having one that really Ooh, confused great. me. When I was driving home from the, or to my girlfriend's from the bakery today, it, it you know, it's like 9.15 in the morning, you know, like it's a nice day out, and I'm like coming down Culver, I'm at a red light, and I see this dude in his, or you know, I see a minivan and a dude behind him, and he's like railing on the horn, because yeah. this dude's like, I don't know, not moving as fast as he wants, and... I don't. I haven't seen someone get this angry over something so menial in a long time. He's just so the guy turns. He's railing on the horn, and I see him turn. He whips his head back, looking at him like, like he's gonna jump out of the car and follow Where was him. This? Culver and Culver and Merchants. You know, it's funny. Huh. Um, right after that uh, Dollar Tree thing, I was riding up Culver, and I'm mm-hmm. at Culver and Bay. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I ride, I like. I just kind of go with the flow or whatever. So, like, this person was making a left off of Culver onto Bay. Yeah. And I was just, like, rolling up. Like, so, from his view, it looked like you were gonna like stop. maybe I was going to ride right into him. But yeah. I was, like, coming up and, like, turning with him. And I was just going to come in behind him. And the guy, like, looks at me. And he starts, like, <laughs> freaking yelling in his car. He puts his arms in the air, like, what are you doing? Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know, man. Why don't you just drive your car? Yeah. Like. What was even weirder is he's, I think he saw me being like, what the hell is your problem? And he he looked at me like I was crazy. Ah! I'm like, what is going on? (laughs) Push out the jives. Bring in the love. That's great. I don't get it. Well, you know, that, uh, that's going to wrap up the moment section of the podcast there. We're going to dive back in. Yeah, I had some good moments this past week, but nothing too crazy. <clears throat> so, to jump back in, uh, we went over Freud's The Levels of the Psyche. Um, we went over some analogies for them. We defined the self-defense mechanism. 
we gave the three types of anxiety, which were, I'm going to jump back in. Do you remember what they were? No. Reality anxiety, <laughs> neurotic anxiety, moral anxiety. Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed those. Yeah. My brain's pretty fuzzy this week. It's like real life pain, negative emotion, or unalignment with rea- with society, mm. essentially. Okay. So I'm going to jump back in. Anxiety occurs when you attempt to find a rational way of escaping it using one of these defense mechanisms. Mechanisms. These are the ways the ego develops to help deal with the id and the superego. The defense mechanisms are often unconscious and tend to distort or falsify reality. When these distortions occur, the change in perception allows a lessening of tension around the anxiety or the anxious situation. Right? So here are 10 of them. We go one by one. Like I said, I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a rough breakdown, a couple brief examples, see what you got anything personal to add. The first one is a big one. Everyone knows this one. Denial. Mm-hmm. Believing what is true is actually for, false. Like you're dating with some you're dating someone who sucks and you stay with them even though you know, you know he sucks and you you just turn a blind eye to it cuz the the defense mechanism essentially is releasing to tension from the anxiety of breaking up because mm-hmm. you're perceiving that being worse than staying in your situation. Oh, I'm real good at that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, the, the denial is the easiest one to, you know, to to recognize. Like children use denial all the time. They'll be like, they'll be like, why'd you just take that? They're like, I didn't take that. Like, oh yeah. You didn't? Okay. So next one is um, displacement, which is taking out impulses on, impulses on less threatening targets. Hmm. So I would say something like you're upset at work or something that happened at work, and you take it out on your romantic partner rather hmm. than facing or resolving the issue. So the, the anxiety would be like you're really stressing out having a conversation with a coworker or, or a boss. So instead of doing it, you just are an asshole. Damn it. You're just a jerk to your girlfriend or whatever. Yeah. That's pretty. also a pretty common pretty one. Pretty common one, especially in restaurants. It's like when you couldn't find the vanilla ice cream and you took it out on your dog. What? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Moving along. Uh, intellectualization. Avoiding unacceptable emotions by focusing on the intellectual aspects. This is what I'm probably most guilty of. So this would be analyzing aspects of your situation that are as far from the core emotion as possible. Right, so this could be, you would think about the fact that she cheated on you, but not about, you know, her willingness to do so, or her willingness to do this because you had fallen short in the past, Mm. right? You will look at, well... You know, he was there with her, and like you'll think of the situation, the particulars of how it happened, because the reality of, of you know there being something happening there is only a small problem compared to how how you it know, got to that point. You, yeah, you, how you fell short or the, how your relationship fell apart, right? Yeah, objectively looking at the whole situation. That and being someone critical like me, that's the go-to. You know, I spent most <clears throat> of my years thinking I knew what was going on, and I had no freaking clue. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good one. Anything to add on that? Uh, I don't know. You're right. They are kind of like similar. So I'm trying to think of the right situations for you. I got a lot of stupid relationship anxiety stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so here's uh, the next one. This is actually the big, the big one. Projection. Such attributing uncomfortable feelings to others. This is just just so common. Um, so this is obviously like playing the blame game. Oh, it's mom's fault. It was her fault. Mm-hmm. It was uh, my parents got divorced. That's the problem. You know, it's our. You know, people will blame their fatness. I heard your dad went into a restaurant. They'll blame their their weight on like environmental factors. Like, oh well, you know, uh, I was just listening to. Um, Candace Owens has her own podcast, and she was—they're talking about issues uh, within the 
black community in America, and the guy she was talking to was saying, like, he was saying that the government intentionally puts bad, cheap food where poor African-American people live. Like, he's, like that is, a lot of people will do projection when it comes to their diet. Oh, I don't have, I'm just busy. I don't have time. It's like, it's too expensive. It's like, it's, it's the government's I fault. I got bad genetics. It's like, well, you know, it's project, uh, yeah. You seen that picture where it's like a couple like real fat people and they got like a little mini fridge full of like two liters of cola and they're like this is where I keep my genetics. <laughs> Projection is is the really the big one in my opinion. Everyone could just you could talk for an hour just on people, and and even well. You could talk easily for hours about people and their projections. And the reason I think this is the big one is because it's so hard to see your own projections. Oh, yeah. Um, That's something um, a random cook told me years ago. It was like, you know, you know why you hate that about that person? Because you do that. Oh, geez. And it's like most of the time when you're upset about something that you see, it's probably because you do it. So what you I hate it. What you were talking about before that I touched on was the projection, you know, mm-hmm. like, you could look at that behavior, and it's really important to look at behaviors you have that are kind of like manic like that, that are just like uh, real compulsory or whatever, and to try to be like, well, why am I doing that? Yeah. And analyze it, and, and then even if you're pretty sure that uh, you're fine and you're not doing that, just to think through it and be like, oh, no, I'm good. Yeah. No, I mean, And I, revisit it. I'm definitely uh, overly organized especially in a work sense and that's um rolled into my personal life just because i wouldn't say you're overly organized until the time you spend organizing uh passes the time you gain by being organized yeah yeah we like we talked about was yeah. that on the podcast or at the bar same thing <laughs> yeah exactly where it's like you know uh, i should do one of these a few beers in to see how it goes might be better might be worse yeah who knows it's not gonna help with the swearing though no not at all <laughs> be uh NSFW or uh, <laughs> explicit, I guess. NSFW yeah, would be different, but um, yeah, I mean, I could look at my want to organize everything as like a a personal thing, but I think in a restaurant sense and a work sense, it, yeah. it really makes sense because it just it makes everything easier. You might in you know, you you could subconsciously your work projection might not be projection; it could just be good work ethic. Mm-hmm. And, but then the fact that you have that work ethic can really enables you to use that as a projection in other realms of your life because then you, you hide it even better from yourself then because it's not like it's a it's a behavior that manifests in a couple different places and, and some of it is a defense mechanism and some of it's just a good work ethic. Yeah. Um, I'll, I have a Carl Jung quote here that, which backs up um, Freud's projection theory here, whatever. He says, uh, projection is one of the most common psychic phenomenon everything that is unconscious in ourselves we discover in our neighbor and we treat them accordingly that's in Jung's uh, book hmm. Archaic Man which is that's it man like everything you know what you said you know why you know why you don't like that because <laughs> you do it yeah. exactly and if you just have that in your head you can't unhear that do you mm-hmm. think about it every time you're upset? You're like, oh, I hate when they're making that or doing that or say. I find myself being bothered by how people say things sometimes, and I think, oh man, I probably do that. Like that's mm-hmm. that's probably why I don't like that. But it, well, totally. I was saying the other day that I was like, how horrible. Sorry, not horrible. How poorly some of the people spoke at the Walmart I went to. Yeah, employees, right. And what about what do I keep saying in this podcast? Oh, I gotta watch this swear. Oh, I gotta, I gotta watch this swear. Like, yeah. obviously, like I really value, um, you know, sp- communicating well. So then I see other people do it. And I don't like it in them. But is is that like that's definitely a form of projection? But is that projection as a defense mechanism? Well, then I'm not like it's not. That's not a particularly harsh one, but that, that that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess, it, so is it a defense mechanism in that it um, it protects you from making that mistake and feeling the anxiety about that again? Because it doesn't seem like, I mean, all this is, um, pers- uh, what's the word? Like, you're, you're laying this out like the defense mechanism is a bad thing, but it might just be, like, 
brain well, sleep, I love. you know, that it could be both, you know. When we get into the next podcast with Young, we'll, we'll touch on this a lot more. You know, it's likely that when I was younger, to just use the same example, I spoke exceptionally worse, but I wasn't articulated enough to really understand that I didn't like the way I, I spoke, hmm. you know. If you talk to my brother, he was you tell me, he's like, yeah, everything you ever said was a joke. It's like you couldn't have a conversation with you because it was like you'd make a dumb joke or a pun off every other sentence, and it was like you just derailed every conversation. And I was like, really? Yeah. I did that? And I'm like, I remember, like, making jokes. He's like, yeah, you could, I couldn't talk to you. <laughs> and now it's like, huh, that's interesting. This like, still happens sometimes. Yeah. I get it. People don't get it, though. I'm like, yeah, just Dave makes puns. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I make puns. Oh, make, some people make, look make Jimmy Callender's. Yeah, some people like Jimmy Callender's. Um, people look into that stuff too much. I think sometimes everyone takes stuff so personally, you know. Or it's well, like, you know, if they think a quick, a quick-witted thing isn't, ins- if they find it to be insulting, yeah, that could be them projecting the fact that they they're overly sensitive about everything being, you know, yeah, offensive or or hurtful or whatever. They could be easily you could easily argue that that's social media. People are ho- so hypersensitive to critical things because all you get is positive things. So then yeah. when I say something quick-witted and they think it's insulting, they're like, oh, my yeah. feelings! Yeah. Ow, your freaking feelings! <laughs> I need my safe space. Yeah, but yeah, so maybe now with the projection and the language thing, maybe I'm far enough down the road where I have built up the values around why I think language is good because I realize that speaking well moves me toward my goals like and there are very few things that move you toward your goals is is uh efficiently as being able to speak so then when i see other people speak poorly it's probably less of a defense mechanism as it's now it's like really an understanding of reality yeah and understanding of where you were when you may yeah. have spoke like that and how yeah. detrimental it is because i mean it's, it's invaluable to be able to speak well oh yeah um one of the things my mom would always say when she would deal with customer service, like she'd always, you know, she flies a lot and would, mm. I don't know, you have to deal with all kinds of the, you know, buy, buying stuff online and flying a lot, you deal with a lot of stupid customer service mm-hmm. things and, you know, she'd always be like, just be as nice as possible, no matter how frustrated you are with like the guy at Verizon, it's not their fault, they're just mm. answering the phone. If you're nice and you like work your way through, you can get whatever you want, mm. you know? Maybe. Not always, but <laughs> like it, it helps. Yeah, I guess. You are fake news. Maybe. That's, uh, I don't know. That's how I get doctor yeah, yeah, appointments yeah. real well. <laughs> Maybe others want your money. That's All right, true. So we've done denial, displacement, intellectualization, projection. Now we're moving along. Uh, rationalization, creating false but believable justifications. Mm. So this can be somewhat tied in with intellectualization. Like you could use intellectualization to, to get to rationalization. Like say, um, like an example could be, I quit my job because because my boss was treating me poorly, but the reality might have been, you know, maybe you sucked at your job. Exactly. <laughs> maybe you know the reason. Well, why was he treating? Why was he being harsh on me? It's like, oh well, maybe because I was coming up short at work. Mm-hmm. But he could rationalize it. Like, well, I, I quit because my boss is a dick. Yeah. Pretty easy. There's a a guy at at my old job now that my chef was telling me about. It was like that. He was getting very flustered and frustrated because everything was hard and everyone was like nice to him or whatever and it's like you're just not good at your job if you do your job better everything will be better yeah with the uh, rationalization will happen a lot with relationships you know mm-hmm. could happen with just how you're rationalizing you know some people like the girl leaves you and you you have have her on such a pedestal in your head you won't even be honest with you know she might say like yeah well you're a bum so i'm leaving yeah and you could think oh you're just silly you know you just feel like <laughs> You could you could rationalize it on, on all sides. People love to rationalize because mm-hmm. the thing with rationalization is you're tricking yourself into into believing that you're actually looking at the problem because you're looking at some of it, but just mm-hmm. not the worst one. I guess that's a big one. Um, the next one is also kind of similar. It's reaction uh, formation. So this would be taking the opposite belief because the truth. Uh, because the truth, want, the true belief would cause anxiety. So this would be like the extreme version of rationalization. This is kind of like, to me, uh, it's, sorry, it's reaction formation. To me, reaction formation is like the all caps burn it to the ground. 
Mm-hmm. Like, you're fighting with your girlfriend, you're like, well, let's just break up. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> going for the total opposite, just like, work sucks. I quit! Yeah. Can we talk about your drinking problem, Dave? I'm breaking up with you! <laughs> That's never happened. I don't have a drinking problem, I'm fine. Oh, wait, I'm rationalizing. No, I'm reaction formation. I, I can quit any time I want. <laughs> yeah, can you? So, I work with a bunch of people that don't drink anymore. It's, it's interesting. Weird. So, yeah. Um, pretty lame. So one of the, the uh, really ridiculous forms of reaction formation is, uh, you know, Stockholm Syndrome. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like that. Uh, there's also... I heard a joke about Stockholm Syndrome. I hated it at first, but now I love it. Ah! <laughs> oh, God. I'm kidnapping that joke from you. Oh, they're going to love that. Um, so there's another a syndrome uh, everyone knows. Little man syndrome? You know, yeah, everyone yeah. knows little man. So a little bit of little, little man syndrome is reaction formation. They, they often they think they're bigger than they are, or they're, do, they're doing things to make themselves seem Like bigger. a corgi. Yeah. A corgi. They think they're big dogs. Uh, moving along. Seven and nine are really similar, so it gets a little tight here. It's it's regression and repression. So with regression, uh, you're going back to a previous stage of development, right? Mm. So it's uh, in response to an anxiety of, say, say a promotion or an additional responsibility at work, you will choose to actually regress down to another position just so you don't have to deal with the anxiety of being offered more responsibility. Mm. Like, I could say in my riding, my BMX riding, I, I, there's some regression there. It's like, I like say it bluntly, like, I'm not going bigger, higher, faster, further. Mm-hmm. That's just, that that's scary. There's risk involved. But those are actually, to go back to the beginning, those are the, uh, what, what were those ones? Hold on. Those are the, those are reality anxieties. Mm-hmm. It's the neurotic anxieties that are the issue, really. So, I'm not going to do the big scary tricks anymore. I'm not going to go faster because it's, just not, it's not worth it. Yeah. Okay, I get it. I never did them in the first place. <laughs> Touche, sir. <laughs> so regression could also be like, you could be like, you'll see this in like people that they're, quote, choosing to be single. You know, mm. they're like, you'll see a lot of uh, young girls do this being like, yo, single and proud. Or like, they'll like, they'll be like, I'm better than dudes. Or uh, like, yeah. they'll, they'll, they'll do all these things of, of regression to be like, because the anxiety of the relationship has obviously there's probably some sort of neurotic emotion tied to a previous relationship where they're like they look at a relationship and all I can see is that there's all this heartache and pain in my life there's been heartache and pain uh, exactly <clears throat> so regression's a big one uh, repression is a little a little bit different Gary and I were having a conversation about repression the other day but um, I don't remember it because I repressed the conversation oh see what I did there so repre- regression, repression is pushing uncomfortable thoughts out of conscious awareness, hmm. right? Just, just pretending they're not there. So, so repression is like you're trying to get it out of there, but you kind of know. Like they're not completely repressed. Like you know, there's part of you that's kind of like, like if you were to get real honest with like that one best friend, you know, a couple drinks in, you're like. Okay, okay, I'll tell you what, you know, it's like, the next one down is suppression, where they're, like, you literally manage to force them entirely, this is what Gary and I were actually talking about, whether there's a line between suppression and repression. In suppression, you're consciously consciously forcing unwanted thoughts out of awareness. So, so in that one, it's like, can you repress things so much that you truly forget they happened? Hmm. Um... So that would be like, going back to the work analogy, say your boss offered you a promotion and you're like, you would straight up deny it and, you, and you're like, oh, I, I don't, I'm not capable of doing that. Hmm. Like that would be, in this, in this theory, like you repress something so much into it's suppressed, so instead of regression, you could stay in your position at work and then when you're offered the job, you truly believe you're incapable of doing it. Like what, in, in regards to my bike, doing scarier bike tricks. It's not suppression. Like I know I'm capable of doing it. It's that's not. I know it's regression because I'm choosing not to do it because of the anxiety about you know, the fear in doing it. 
I, I have a lot of that in my bike riding, too, where I just, I am fully capable of doing a whole lot more than I do, but I, I'm too afraid. Like, the, the, the weighing, the, yeah. when I'm weighing the risk versus reward, and I'll get, I'll psych myself out. I've always psyched myself out too yeah. hard, because I always think too much Putting about Putting these it, into, um, the reality anxieties is, is a good way to make analogies, because, like, I just said a second ago, the, it's, it's the neurotic anxieties that are the real problem for people. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, like... Yeah, the moral ones and 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 the moral and neurotic ones. The reality ones aren't there. That's the deal. Um, yeah. So keep moving here. We've done denial, displacement, intellectualization, projection, rationalization, reaction formation, regression, repression, and suppression. And we come down to. Uh, well, actually, before I get to number 10, I wanted to also point out another really, 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 really common suppression, which is um, people who don't want to think about their loved ones dying, uh, they're like, they won't even, maybe that's more repression, because they know it's going to happen, but they're just like, ah, yeah. so I guess that's more repression than suppression, so I think I got that kind of wrong. Yeah, I mean, there's really no way you can, as a human, like, pretend that no one's gonna die like, yeah there's some know. part of you that knows we'll get to the sure. dying soon though sweet so Can't now <laughs> the last one number 10 is sublimation sublimation so this is uh redirecting wrong urges into societal except socially acceptable actions redirecting wrong urges into society societal <laughs> Redirecting wrong urges into societal. Redirecting long urges into socially acceptable actions. There you go, champ. Jesus Christ. <laughs> when I used to do uh, the, the vlogs, that's how I would do with almost all my sentences, and I'd yeah. cut out all the bad ones. Um, so these defenses are... Hold on. I wrote that they're not under our conscious control. That makes sense. I think they are under our control and our unconscious control. And we'll, we'll use more than one of them to protect ourselves from a st- 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 stressful situation. So same thing. That's going to reiterate. I don't know why I wrote that. I was on a lot of coffee then. Um, yeah, so this, this particular defense mechanism is actually like the positive one. So these are natural and they're normal um, and these are what help from prevent. This will help prevent neurosis from developing. Like these, these are the activities that we're going to talk about all the time in wrench life that prevent you from getting into these anxious states and phobias and obsessions or hysterias. These are these are good activities. They're stress relievers. They're stress managers. You know, it's like working out your anger essentially. Mm-hmm. So it's taking any version, any type of anxiety you have, taking all that uh, that neuroticism, which is just fancy word for negative emotion and going to the gym going for a bike ride going for a run it's taking a a wrong urge as it says you know to act out in anger or whatever and going out for a run and then you're under control you got it you're fine find your center so sub sublimation is the one you want that's the only one that actually takes it and moves you forward on the path right oh geez i gotta really bad but we'll keep keep working on this so the using the theory of projection like so all right uh, line drawn that's my freud breakdown that's um mostly from wikipedia uh, but all the wikipedia stuff on that page is all cited to other stuff which i didn't care to break down because whatever uh and now we're going to get into my interjection on this whole thing, right? Okay. It's worth noting with the sublimation, it people, one of the factors of the great problem we spoke of is that problem of free time is that with all of that free time, we should be able to engage in tons of sublimation, but no one does because the, the, the lie of free time is that you could just stare at a TV, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a matter of, you know, what we always say, getting up, just standing up and going out there and doing it. Like that's the first step in this sublimation, in sublimation, and and that you can't get to the point where you can get these things out through some sort of, you know, physical activity if you can't 
meditate. If you can't think through those things and analyze those things and point out those things that are caused those anxieties, so you'd think backwards. Am I doing one of these nine negative defense mechanisms? Well, here's three things that could be that way. Well, are those in response to, you know, the type of anxiety that needs to be faced, or is it just a reality anxiety like I'm going to fall off the cliff and die? Most likely you're not going to fall off the cliff and die. Then, so like I said, projection I think is the most useful tool, is, is analyzing all the things that you dislike in other people and in parts of the world and all these things. Like, what are those things that drive you nuts? Are you projecting them in other people? Uh, we should strive to be critical of what we dislike and what we project onto others, especially when it comes to others. Mm -hmm. Like, especially. I think that's a, like, there's a lot of dudes out there that want girls that are, like, really done up. Like, the dude's got, like, a beer gut and he hasn't shaved and he probably doesn't wear cologne, maybe he doesn't even wear deodorant, but then he's going to be super critical about this, this, this. His standards for the women he thinks he deserves to date are, like, Got to have your hair done. You got to always smell good. You can't have any hair in your armpits. They can't like they're just like here's this list of things, and it's yeah. like and I I've looked at this thing for years as a kid, and I was like, why did why is it acceptable for men to to demand so much for women, right? But then why are women willing to do so much and not demand anything else from the guy? Yeah, like hey man, here's an Norelco. Stop looking like you're unemployed. Yeah, <laughs> you know I'm not saying that to you. No. That's I'm, in, I'm employed now. Oh. Well, I was talking about your shit. I just shaved, oh. so. That's like a big one. Like, what are we projecting on other people, right? All right, so we should be very critical of what we dislike and project onto the others. We should extract that from the physical world and then try to reintegrate it into our minds. So we are something closer to a conscious awareness. And I wrote here on this own line, this is hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's the hardest one of the hardest things. Yourself. Yeah, it can be damn near impossible if you're actually deep in some sort of neurosis, if you're actually depressed or anxious, like to really get down to some of those fundamental things. It's it's not going to happen, and you have to work toward them by little bits and pieces, right? Very little bits and pieces. Uh, but you could also, to contrast that. Uh, if you're really, really deep into projection, it in fact might be your own neurosis. So that might be you know, your thing. You might be just so critical that you might eat yourself alive. So hmm. it's complicated, but I said it's super, super important. It's super hard. All the hardest things are the most important things. Nothing worth having is, comes easy. Yeah. Period. <laughs> oh, geez. So. Basically what's, what's, basically what's happening is, for a lot of people, it's like you're constantly looking for scapegoats to project on, right? If you're, if you, if the, say, say you're really a big projector, and I think a lot of people are projectors, like, to some degree. Of, of any of those things, I think the one that plagues, it's probably not the most detrimental of these defense mechanisms. It's probably the most common one, so it's probably the most important to address, right? Mm -hmm. So, if you're a big projector, you're constantly going to be looking for a scapegoat to project on. Most likely, it's going to be a loved one. Like, we could all probably relate to this where we were probably just, you know, taking too much out on our loved ones and or, or neglecting them in some way because you were just up in your own head with your own problems, and then all of a sudden they're like, you realize you don't have a relationship with your cousin or your, or your girlfriend just gets up and leave, and you know, like, why did you leave? And you didn't even realize what you're doing because, you know, that's what I did most of my teenage years. I just, like, my family was falling apart, so I was just like, all right, cool, I got a bike, I'm out later, peace. And then it was, like, in my mid-20s being like, wow, I have no connection with any of these people. And then after my dad, my dad died, I now have a better, a good relationship with my cousin and my aunt and my uncle. And like, we talk and everything. And it was like, I just ignored this entirely for years. I was like, oh, it doesn't matter. The way I rationalized it was like, oh, I got friends and I got my bike. So who needs the family, you know, forgetting that the family's unconditional, you know? Oh, mm -hmm. uh, geez. Yeah. So... We can all relate to that, looking for a scapegoat, right? If, you, if you're honest with yourself, you can you can relate to it, right? <clears throat> Ultimately, what if you keep projecting, all you're going to do is you're you're going to push them away, and then what? You know, is it is it better? Are you worse? 
that's the point where you really need to be honest with yourself. You need to look at what, uh, what Carl Jung, the other psychologist, he calls the shadow, right? Mm -hmm. That is, in, in Jung's psychology, the shadow is what you're projecting, essentially, right? If you keep looking at what you don't like in other people and other parts of the world and keep looking at yourself, eventually you're going to learn it's easier and safer Hold on, let me. I, mean, I made it pretty far into this thing with being concise. So I'm getting, I'm getting kind of fried on it. So if you don't, sorry. Okay, so if you don't face the, the projections you're having, right? What's going to happen is, is you're going to learn. You're going to teach yourself that it's always going to be easy, easier, and it's always going to be safer. And I mean safe in regard to your shadow, that internal bad you, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to be easier and safer for you to keep projecting to hide yourself from the darkest parts of you ultimately what you're going to do ready for this mm -hmm. is you're going to project onto an entire group of people hmm. because if you keep pushing people away you're going to be like you're going to look for something that's not going to go away that's when you choose a group of people to abstract and then project onto them, not the individual. Right? And that choice is pretty simple because it's a solution. It's like it gives you a nice big wide screen for you to project on, and that screen's not going to get up and leave from your life. So I'm going to kind of pull in here. I'll get a little political here. This would be, I'm going to do some hashtags here. Uh, hashtag collectivism, hashtag identity politics, hashtag intersectionality, hashtag reactionary feminism, hashtag black lives matter, hashtag blue lives matter. Every one of those things are collective projections. Mm. It's people are mad, they have all these problems in their life, and then someone's like, hey, here's a group you can abstract and you can project on. And then you're like, boom. One of them. Um, Cop out. A lot of a lot, a lot of these psycho psychologists were like in um, the late eighteen hundreds or early nineteen hundreds. All of, basically like in that era where collectivism killed a hundred million people. So like at the core, they were like, man, I'm a psychologist, uh, they're killing a lot of people there. I should probably think about that. So they're all all the psychologists, in, in Nietzsche and Jung and Freud, they're all looking at and they're saying projection primes you for collective ideologies and we've already expressed that ideologies are bad they they put you on a path that you just can't deny so when a group comes along say it's the nazi party and they say hey all your problems it's that group then you're like oh okay the jews were the problem right that's what destroyed germany okay and then then once you're projecting onto a group when you see per a person of the group, you see only the bad sides of that group. You don't have to work. You don't have to see that person's actions to project on them. You're like, oh, part of identifiable group that has these bad things. That person is those bad things. Mm -hmm. And we know what happened with the Nazis. So basically, what I'm saying is, if you aren't honest with yourself, you're going to be a Nazi. <laughs> Jeez, people, Dave, kind of harsh. People like to throw around Nazi like it's uh, like it's just bad guy now. Like it's yeah. It's weird. So basically, uh, when we're offered a group to project on and a group to join in that projection, history tells us, you know, what, what happens, you know? If we don't learn from History Channel, we're doomed to repeat History Channel. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm also going to touch on a, a quick one that's a lot of food for thought here. Some people love to blame the majority of war in the history of humanity on religion. I offer projection. Hmm. It's not the religion. It's the projection within the religion. So, to wrap this one up, we're going to do the, the Michael Pollan food rule. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll do the food rule and then I'll wrap it up because I wrote a nice ending. Cool. So, we're hour and four minutes, right on time. Nailed it. Before I wrap it up, we're going to do this segment I always do, Michael Pollan food rules. It's a great little book if you're trying to get into... into uh, being not such a piece of garbage. Good save. <laughs> so rule number two, Michael Pollan's food rules, New York Times bestseller. Rule number, you remember rule number one? Eat food. Great rule. Rule number two is the great rule, another one. Don't 
eat anything your great-grandmother wouldn't recognize as food. And I think in there he writes something like, uh, if your grandmother, if you don't have a good food uh, conscious grandmother, supplement a nice little Italian one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a great example he uses in all his lectures. Like, give your great-grandmother gogurt. <laughs> she's like, what the heck is this? And then she opens it and this purple stuff comes out and she's like, uh... You're going to eat that? Can I clean the bathtub with this? Probably. I don't know. That's a great rule. The thing is, you know, it's a great rule because most stuff that's, if you can't, if it's, if you can't recognize it as food, it's probably made of a bunch of things that are not food, according mm -hmm. to the first rule. So, it's a great book. Michael Pollan. This book's great. All right. Wrapping it up. So, yeah. This is my good ending here. So, yeah. Sorry. <sighs> we must be honest with ourselves. We must be honest with ourselves in order to be honest with other people. And we must be honest with ourselves before we can be honest with other people. So the, the individuation process, that's Carl Jung, includes the shadow, which we touched upon before. Jung believed that if we didn't answer the question of projection of the shadow on an individual level, the only outcome would be wars. So I'm going to end it on a young quote, because the next podcast will be about young and the his process of individuation. Right? This quote is from Visions Notes of Seminars between 1930 and 1934. I'm really trying to get through this smooth. Modern people are ignorant to what they really are. We have simply forgotten what a human really is. So we have men like Nietzsche, Freud, and Adler who tell us what we are quite mercilessly. We have to discover our shadow, otherwise we are given into a world war. Fuck. Damn it. Damn it. We have to discover our shadow, otherwise we are driven into a world war. Oh my god, I put so much stress on this. <laughs> I'm starting it over. Modern people are ignorant to what they really are. We have simply forgotten what a human being really is. So we have men like Nietzsche, Freud, and Adler who tell us what we are quite mercilessly. We have to discover our shadow. Otherwise, we are driven into world war in order to see what beasts we really are. <laughs>